Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious. Conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to fulfill their purpose, satisfy their curiosity, and to see what they're made of. My name is Brandon Fong, and I so appreciate you for being here, and I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, Laura Jack. Curiosity with compassionate detachment. When I hear somebody's story, I don't try to jump into fix-it mode. Fixing signifies that there's something broken. Um, And as one of my mentors said, people are not broken, they're brokenhearted. And I added, and broken hearts heal. Guys, I'm super excited for this episode, but first, some explanation. Yes, I sound like a 90-year-old pack-a-day smoker right now, (laughs) and I'll explain why in just a second. So, originally, this episode with Laura Jack was going to air before the transition to Beyond Curious, and I'm typically really far ahead on my content, so this conversation was actually recorded three months ago before I even knew what the name of the new show was going to be. So, like usual, I listened to the finished version of the episode when it was supposed to come out on Seven Figure Millennials, but the content was just so perfectly aligned with Beyond Curious, I wanted to wait. So, I texted Laura and we decided to move this episode release to after the rebrand. And since then, I've been procrastinating on re recording the introduction. And I had it partly finished when a few days ago, I woke up with a sore throat and a fever. So today I literally just went to urgent care, got tested for strep and COVID. It all came back negative and they think I just have some viral infection. Um, But time has run out and the episode needs to be released. And you guys get partially 90-year-old smoker sounding Brandon version for the intro. Uh, But the good news is that I actually recorded part of the intro prior to getting sick. So we're just going to loop that in right here. So um, here is the rest of the intro from non-viral infection sounding Brandon. (laughs) There is so much gold in this episode, but as always, I would love for you to look out for these three specific things. Number one, how to leverage curiosity to transition being triggered into a growth opportunity. Number two, why having self-compassion is significantly more empowering than having self-esteem. And number three, what Laura said to her mom when she was just a kid and they almost got in a car accident that represents how Laura approaches the world. A really cute and cool story from the very, very beginning. So all that goodness to look forward to in today's episode and of course so much more. But if you're listening to this and you don't know who Laura Jack is, well, here is her bio. As a keynote speaker and trainer, compassionate communication and leadership coach, international best-selling author, and founder of the Compassion Code Academy, Laura guides conscious leaders to communicate and lead confidently and compassionately without burning out. She provides in-depth training for individuals and organizations who want to create a culture of compassion and leave a legacy of love for future generations. So a little bit more context. I met Laura almost a year ago now, I think. And it was one of those relationships where we got on a call and we just hit it off. And she is just so much fun, so full of energy, so full of love. And as I dove deeper into her content, it became even more apparent why we connected so deeply. And it's because we share literally like the same exact core values. Um, She doesn't explicitly describe her core values in today's episode, but it is just so clear that we, we share lots of commonalities when it comes to how we're choosing to communicate in our lives. So Uh, That and also my life purpose is really aligned with her life purpose as well. So if you are someone 
who wants to be a compassionate communicator. And I say that from the perspective of communicating with yourself, because if you're listening to this and you're a driven entrepreneur um, and, and somebody that is just focused on making a massive impact in the world, I can tell you that myself included and my other entrepreneurial friends, sometimes you're not so kind to yourself, right? So <laughs> how do you be more compassionate when you communicate to yourself? And then how do you translate that into creating deeper relationships with other people? How do you compassionately communicate and listen? And especially if people are sharing heavy topics, how do you not that let that burn you out or drag you down. There's so much intricacies and so much wisdom that's shared in today's episode. So with all that said, I'm super excited to introduce you to my friend, Laura Jack. The one, the only, Laura Jack. Super excited to have you here. This is going to be so much fun as are all of our conversations. <laughs> yes, I agree. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So I, I just finished your book the other day. I was listening to the, the audio version and I always love, I, my ears just perk up when I hear really powerful, meaningful, like human stories that kind of like share who my guests are. And so there was one that stood out to me as kind of like a really fun and cute one that I think would kind of show a little bit about your personality and maybe who you've, you've always been. So you were with your mom and she's driving you to your, to school and someone cuts her off in traffic that almost gets you in an accident. And you say something to her that, that kind of almost seems like it became a theme in your life. I would love for you to share what happened that day and what you said. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> it really is very, um, it is quite a snapshot of who I am. So my mom, you know, it's all, it's very scary when you almost have an accident, when you have your kids in the car, because as a mother now, um, you're like, oh God, that could have been terrible. Right. And so of course my mom has her moment and she's angry with the person who cut her off. And uh, once we kind of calmed down, cause we had spun into the median and like hit the median. So it was pretty frightening. Oh, yeah. um, and I said, mom, you know, that guy, like, what if he's on the way to the hospital to see his wife? Maybe she's in labor or like, you know what I mean? So I, I made up the story. My mom, like, you know, looks in the rear view mirror, you know, looking at me being like, what is wrong with you child? You know what I mean? But also like inspired and also like annoyed at the same time. And I said, and she said, what made you say that? And I said, well, you never know. Everybody has a story. And, and that was kind of something that she quoted me on the rest of her life. And, and it came back to bite me a little bit when I was going through puberty, because, you know, with the hormones raging and me being like, ah, I'm like mad at everyone. And she'd be like, Laura, and everybody has a story. And I'll be like, oh, damn it. Like, you know, giving me my own medicine a little bit back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was just a very, and my mom used to call, I'm, I'm born on the 4th of May. And so I'm a star Wars baby. So my mom used oh, to call nice. like baby Yoda, um, <laughs> because I would say things like everybody has a story. And, uh, so yeah. Well, very, very wise, uh, from a very, I mean, it's funny. Cause like my wife is a full-time nanny and she spends a lot of time with kids. Her goal has always been a full-time mom. And sometimes the things that come out of those kids' mouths is just like, wow, that was the wisest thing I've heard in a long time. But it's cool mm -hmm. because like, 
those it, i think it shows a part of you that is like the truest version of you right like that was like you didn't have any filter when you were saying that that was just the authentic version of you that was coming out and i always love seeing uh early seeds of genius that that come mm -hmm. out in my guests because it's very apparent today that you use some of those skill sets of like reframing positive stories in your in your work today so uh yeah. i love that and let, let's keep going with uh another story that i think would would showcase a little bit about you and the the life that you've built there was i know a period from kind of your college years where you were traveling the, the world a little bit and i would love for you to share a little bit about how you met your husband and what was going on in your life when you met him <laughs> yeah so when i was in college um i've always been a little bit of a march to the beat of my own drum kind of person and and sometimes even a rebel without a cause right like just like rebelling against the status quo, rebelling against the things that everybody, quote unquote, everybody does. And I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do the things like the traditional way. And so when I was in college, after I got back from my study abroad, I studied abroad in South America and um, I came back and I was taking classes in the business school and some friends of mine and I talked about, you know, creating a business plan for this imaginary hostel in somewhere in Central and South America and just somewhere Spanish speaking and somewhere exotic, right? Like that was the idea. <laughs> and I was actually a Spanish major in college. So for me, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I had studied abroad in Costa Rica in high school as an exchange student as well. So Latin America was very much on my map and in my heart. So anyway, um, we came back from our study abroad and we're taking a class and we had to make a business plan. And at some, you know, some a uh, drunk night back when I used to do that, <laughs> uh, we were like, what if we actually made this into a reality? Like what, mm -hmm. what if we actually did this thing? And so these, th these three guys, two of which went to college with me and one of which went, was a friend of theirs from growing up. Um, and, and then a few other people, we, we made all these plans to go live down eventually was Panama. And so fast forward, I ended up having a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a tangent. I moved to Brazil first and kind of got really lost in, in Rio for a while, just in a good way. But, um, and then I ended up making my way to Panama and joining these three guys who have become and are still dear friends of mine to this day. And we opened over the course of five years, we opened three hostels and two bars down in the islands off the coast of Panama called Bocas del Toro. And then, an, and then the third one was in Panama City, Panama. So I'm down there um, living the, my best life, you know, like just having the time of my life. And I met Aaron, my husband, he was running an eco lodge, which is basically just an ecologically friendly, sustainable, um, it's like what backpackers do when they grow up and they want something a little nicer, but they still like want to be kind of part of the land and like really think about sustainability and conscious um, travel. And so he was running an eco resort and like 45 minutes away from where I was living. So by boat <laughs> and mm -hmm. we met doing our visa extension. Um, Oh, no way. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So we went on a boat. I actually was going with a friend of mine to go do, help her do hers because I spoke fluent Spanish. So she was like, can you come with me and help me with the thing? And my mom's in town. So then you can actually hang out with her. And I ended up hanging out the whole day with Aaron because <laughs> he was going to do his. And um, so, yeah, so we ended up meeting and falling in love. And, um, you know, it was such a pivotal time in my life. Uh, because, you know, just meeting somebody who could understand that part of my story was so important because I was probably the most empowered and inspired I'd ever been. 
and having the most fun. Um, and somebody who can hang in that environment, you know, and be able to, I was living with three guys, you know, I was like, he could not be jealous. Like, you know, just, it's just <laughs> that environment where, um, and, and so it just, and being fully in my power and having a man that was not intimidated by that, you know, which there had been quite a few who were really intimidated by a woman being in her power. Right. And so, yeah, we just fell in love really quickly. And, um, we basically from two weeks into meeting, we were pretty much just never, we'd never been apart again. That's so beautiful. And it's funny. Cause I'm picturing when I had to renew my visa in Thailand, it's pretty much like a DMV. So you, but you basically like oh, yeah. met your husband in the equivalent of a DMV. Yeah. <laughs> like we had in, in Panama, like a lot of Latin America, like the lunch break is like three hours. So while we're waiting for this person's lunch break to end, we just like toured around like the ugliest town ever. Cause you take the boat into mainland and then you take like an hour long bus and then you take a taxi. It's just like, kind of a shitty little town you know yeah. we we used to joke that changanola is for lovers like you know virginia is for lovers but changanola but it's like this crappy town but that's where we happen to fall in love so yeah we basically well, met it's only up from there right right exactly we <laughs> i'm like filling out his paperwork and like <laughs> talking to him about his like what's your parents names i love like i love writing handwriting and so yeah it was pretty silly but also pretty magical i love that and you guys work together like if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. so you not only you went into business then, but like you're still mm -hmm. working together to this day, right? So until about a year ago, Aaron has been in the back end operations of my business. Yeah. And okay. then a year ago, we kind of decided that, you know, just in all vulnerability, like we chose our marriage over our business partnership because mm. it was just time for him to kind of figure out what he wants to do with his life. He had been supporting me for so long, my mission and vision, and he may again, but I think you know, he really is just on his own spiritual path and figuring out what he wants to be when he grows up, you know? Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. And I'm sure there's so much we could dive into there about totally. the lessons that you guys have learned as a couple oh, yeah. and doing all that kind of stuff. But there's a, there was another kind of rabbit hole I wanted to chase a little <laughs> bit as you were talking about this story about running this hostel with your friends. It reminded me of something else that you shared in your book that I think kind of ties this story and the first story together about like your ability to kind of just reframe stories and situations. So there was this, it was a teeny little passage from your book, but it was something along the lines of like, you were visiting your dad at home and he overheard, you overheard a conversation of him basically saying that you were like a little bit lost and it kind of hurt you mm -hmm. a little bit, but you were walking yeah. with a friend and you kind of reframed for that. I, I would love for you to, to share that. Sure. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it was, it's actually a huge teaching for me, that story. And I'll share it in a second, but that story has changed my whole life. Um, mm. because it's about, so for me, I grew up being Jewish and in Jewish tradition, um, you get highly educated, you achieve and you achieve and you achieve, and then you receive love. Um, that's kind of how it works. So, um, and I think a lot of people who come from immigrant families or, you know, Asian Indian, like a lot of my Asian and Indian friends from growing up and it's very similar vibe to like the Jewish culture. Um, so you achieve and then you're loved, right? So, my dad, you know, I'm down in Central America. I'm running hostels. I negotiated for like a million dollar, you know, business um, in Spanish with a bunch of nuns who did not like what we were doing. You know, like it was not easy. And, you know, we're dealing with bribing and like we're dealing with all sorts of things that are complex and um, very socially interesting, but also challenging. Um and, and so anyway, I overhear my dad saying and to 
to some friends of ours that, oh, Laura's just a wanderlust hippie. Um, and I know that he's, my dad is a storyteller. So I know that it wasn't meant to hurt me. I wasn't meant to hear it. And, um, and I was really, yeah, it hurt my feelings. Cause I was like, wait, that's not true. Like that's not an accurate depiction of what's happening here. Um, like, yes, I love people. And that if you, if that's what a hippie means to you, then sure. I love people, but I'm also like an entrepreneur and I'm running businesses and this other. So anyway, I'm, I'm out walking with a dear friend of mine who has just given me quite a few nuggets of wisdom over the years. But he says, I said to him, I'm like, so my dad said, and it hurt my feelings. And I've known him since middle school, you know, so he's very familiar with my dad and, and my dad's um, brilliance, but also sometimes uh, forgetting his empathy, you know, not always, but sometimes. And so he says, well, Laura, you could see it as you're a wanderlust hippie, or you could see it as the fact that you are a serial entrepreneur who's been, you know, opening businesses in another country in the third world and like kicking ass and like, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'll have that one, please. Like story two, like <laughs> number two, <laughs> door number two, please. And I, at that moment was like, wow, you really do get to decide how you tell your story. And I get to choose the story I tell about my life. And my dad only tells that story about my life because he's he's more of a traditionalist and he didn't quite understand. It wasn't because he didn't love me or think I'm amazing or not even that he wasn't proud of me. It was just his map of the world, right? And so it gave me permission to choose the stories that I tell. And then, you know, it's a huge part of the work I do now is helping people tell their stories in a way that's empowering. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So, so good. I, I, I love that we went here and it's so funny. I, it, as I read your book, which by the way, for anyone listening, we're going to dive into this, but anyone go check out the compassion code, how to say the right thing when the wrong thing happens. I was listening to the audiobook as I've alluded to while I was <laughs> running and suffering on the, on the treadmill, uh, over the weekend, but it's incredible, incredible book, but it became so apparent as I was reading it. Like when you and I first met, we just like hit it off and I felt like long lost, long lost friends. And I was like, oh my God, we share the exact same core values. So like, like my mm. core values are number one is childlike curiosity. Number two is deep connection. Number three is conscious storytelling. And the fourth one is being an expansion catalyst. So like I have like mm. more deep definitions of what one of those means. But for me, conscious storytelling, I truly believe that your stories are the medium of your reality. And if you work to elevate your stories, you can absolutely upgrade your reality. And so as I was seeing not only like the the early story that you shared of like, you're, you know, you rewrote that story as a kid in the backseat of the car. It's like, well, no, that, you know, what if that was something that was happening to that person, right? Like there, we all have these choices in, in rewriting our past, even today, like we can constantly update and reframe them. And so I my, love that so much. My next book that I'm like playing with the title is reparenting ourselves. It's never too late to have a good childhood. Mm, oh my gosh, that's really cool. I'm excited about that one. <laughs> yeah, so it's really aligned with this idea that we're talking about right now is like reframing our old reality, even if we had a shitty time, even if we experienced trauma, but we still get to tell our story from the hero's journey perspective. Yeah. You know, like, okay. So, so yeah, let's go, okay. let's go super, no, let's go super deep here. I want to stay yeah. right here because this is super, super powerful. So there's like, I have kind of like a two part question. Cause like, I think like so many people have different approaches to this and I'd love to hear yours. So I guess like the first part is like, how does somebody go about identifying 
those negative stories, right? Because like there, you, the, the, the story that you just shared about your dad is a pretty visible one, right? Like you heard something that was kind of hurtful for you and then you realized there was kind of some baggage there. But like, I think lots of these times there's these unconscious stories or narratives that are running like scripts in the back of our heads. So I guess I'll not complicate it by asking the second part of the question. So I just want to stick here for a little bit. Like what are some tools, techniques, strategies, or things that you've discovered over the year, years that have been helpful for you to uncover those bad stories to begin with so that you can go about rewriting them? Yeah, well, I think one of the most important things, and I really want to acknowledge what you said about our values being so similar, but like consciousness, right? Listening to the words that come out of our mouth. Like I am like a bouncer to this mouthpiece, (laughs) right? Like what comes out of my mouth? I am listening. Hmm. And when other people are talking, I am listening like a bouncer Hmm. would. Like I am like at the door of my mouth and at the door of my ears being like, is this helpful? Is this helpful? Is this helpful? That is like my constant question to both myself, my partner, my clients. Is this a helpful story that you're telling about yourself to yourself? Right? So when, for example, say I'm like, nothing gets through this mouth without me and like evaluating whether it's helpful or not. And now it's just second nature. I don't have to think about it so hard. Uh, but like, I won't even say, <laughs> well, I, like, I've been noticing some old codependent patterns. Like I realized recently, and I'm reading codependent no more right now, but I realized recently, oh, I've had some codependency. Like I get into relationship with people who need a lot from me so that I feel wanted and loved, right? Like I'm a mm-hmm. helper, right? So, Ooh, I'm, I'm helpful. And then it's like, Oh, and so even as I talk about it, and one of the skills that I teach in compassion code Academy is putting things into the past with your language. So for example, I might say, gosh, I'm like, I'm always doing this. And I'm like, Ooh, always one. We're not, not always anything, right? Like, or never. Mm. Right. And then I say, I used to, so I love with my clients, I always say, I used to have a really hard time with codependence relation, codependent relationships. Hmm. And now I'm fill in the blank, like whatever you're working toward. So I used to get really hurt feelings when my dad, you know, didn't understand me. And now I just realized that our map of the world is different and that his love shows up differently than maybe than the way I want it. So I have to teach him and share with him what it is that I need because he can't read my mind. Right. So just think like, look at the language transition that I am literally self-coaching all the time, right? So I am a bouncer for my ears and my mouth. (laughs) And then I ask myself constantly, is this helpful? Is this helpful for me to think this way about myself? I'm like, God, you know that, you know how people say like, I'm so stupid, you know, like when people mess up, Oh yeah. like, One, I don't let my friends get away with that. So when somebody says, I'm so stupid, I say, excuse me, stop being mean to my friend. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And I say that to my husband, like, hey, (laughs) like sometimes I'll like, (laughs) and I say, stop being mean to my husband. He doesn't deserve that. You know, and it kind of, it's like a funny way to break it up, right? It's like adding humor can really help, especially breaking old mental patterns, right? So um, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll say to my kids, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I'll say, Isla. And she's like, yeah, you are awesome. <laughs> it, you know, cause like, I don't want her every time for me to like, with my voice to be a certain tone, I don't want her associate it with me being mad at her. 
So mm. that, so I kind of play with, I love, I love Jan Jack. You are so amazing. Oh, you know, awesome. and, and so just kind of like changing the paradigm of like the only time people say somebody's full name is when they're criticizing them or angry with them. Like, I don't want that to be the story. So just, you know, it's all about conscious language, being conscious of our thoughts. Sometimes we can't, we don't know what our thoughts are until we say them out loud to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Oh man. It, it, well, oh. So many different places we can go, but uh, you just said the <laughs> words conscious language. I don't know if I've recommended this book to you before, but there's a book called conscious language by oh, Robert really? Tennyson Stevens. Yeah. I, I've had him on the show and like, it was oh, one nice. of those books that was like a paradigm shifter to me, but I love that visual that like anybody listening right now can kind of just picture like a bouncer in front of your mouth, a bouncer right over your ears. And almost like, I would argue too, like a bouncer that's kind of like inside of your brain too, right? Exactly. There's one sitting, sitting in there. It's like sometimes it's Right. Exactly. A, a mind bouncer. But um, I, I just to kind of add on to this, I because one of the things I've realized it's super powerful is the concept of like naming and labeling. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is like, if something's this kind of like amorphous thing that doesn't really have much of a definition, but then you can say, oh, I'm doing this now. And you have like a word for it. And, and so it's like, I love that it, it, it my the way I translated that in my head is like, you, you use the word always like as a trigger to, to realize like, oh, I should switch the always to used to, and now I'm as like a much more empowering upgrade. And, and so it's fun that not everybody has a, a Laura Jack in their family that can say, you know, stop being mean to my, my friends, stop being mean to my husband or whatever. Do you have a version of that for yourself? Like a fun way of doing that? Or is that more so for, for other people when you do that? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times what I catch myself in is shooting myself, you know, like don't yep. shit all over yourself. That that's another trigger for like, Ooh, that's a judgment, right? So should is always in quotes, a judgment. There's mm -hmm. rarely a time that that's helpful. Right. So, um, I don't necessarily verbally do it, but one of the things that I've been working on internally is, um, like say my kids are being mean to me, right? Say somebody says something mean to me or criticizes me what I say inside of my own head is I love myself enough. I love myself enough. I don't need the love of someone else to prove that I am worthy mm -hmm. in this world of being loved or being here at all of my existence. And so I love myself enough. It's not funny, but it's my little centering tool when mm -hmm. I find myself being hard on myself or somebody says something that I feel defensive about because defensiveness is usually a trigger for something that we think about ourselves, right? So like if somebody mm -hmm. says something to us and we get defensive, it's usually because some part of us believes it's true. Because if I said to you, Brandon, you are a 75 year old elephant who's blue and purple, you would be like, Sweet. <laughs> right, right, cool. But like, if I said something that like is something that you're so afraid that you don't want to be, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe I was like, you're a terrible listener. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like I'm a great listener, right? Like there's some defensive tool, like defensiveness in there because maybe that's something you really like have worked so hard to be a great listener, right? And so then you feel misunderstood. That's when I'm like, oh, honey, like I just almost like talk to my inner child. We're going to go woo for a second, but like I talk to my inner child and it's like, oh, you are so worthy of love. Like it's okay. Like, and I just try to give myself like a little bit of gentle tenderness um, to that little girl in me. Cause the little girl is the one who's triggered, not the adult empowered 
completely capable, self-loving version, but the little girl in me that has some fear of that truth. That's so good. I another thing that's kind of come up, you know, you and I were talking beforehand about uh, Caitlin Domner, our, mm -hmm. our now mutual friend, because you Yay. guys were hanging out. But Kay Caitlin and I had this conversation a, a while ago. She was an early guest on my show, and it, this has become a pattern that's kind of come up over and over again. But I love this topic so much that it's like whenever you're triggered, it's a sign to get curious, yeah. right? Like it's Absolutely. it's like a massive growth opportunity. Like, yeah, it could be. It, it could be someone, someone cutting you off in traffic. It's usually not that obvious, but it's like, if somebody says something to you and you're just feeling off and you're yeah. just like, what was that? Like, that's an opportunity to just go, Hmm, exactly. you know, what, what is that? I, so I would love for you to maybe share, like, if, 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 so if somebody's listening, like, yeah, that happened the other day. Like I just felt wonky after that conversation. I really can't put anything to it. Or I blatantly felt bad about that conversation. If that happens to you, how would you encourage someone to kind of like leverage that trigger as a growth opportunity to learn something more about yourself? I think that's where compassion really comes in, right? Because when we're triggered, it just means it's an, it's information, right? It's information, which is why curiosity is such an incredible tool. And you already used one of my favorite tricks, which is to go, Hmm, I wonder what this is about. Like, I love, I always joke when I'm speaking to organizations. So I always say it's the three most important letters. HMM. Hmm. I wonder, mm. you know, I wonder what's going on here. I like, um, I like to ask myself, like, what can I learn from this experience? Right. And sometimes it takes me a minute. Like what I don't want to do is bypass my feelings. I am mm. amazing at jumping to forgiveness. I'm so good at it. I could skip my feelings all day long and jump straight into my forgiveness of that person or myself or whatever. And one of the things that I have been working on for myself is to give myself permission to have the feeling first before I dismiss it and try to figure it out. Um, so when, if somebody were my client, I was supporting them through a feeling that they had around some, a situation. My first thing is like, okay, cool. Like you had that you, or you have that you're feeling that. And that's very valid. So like validation of the feeling before we try to change the state. Right. So the first thing I ever do for myself too, is like, it's okay that your feelings got hurt. It's okay that you're feeling disappointed now. Okay. Like, and I, then I usually ask if it's somebody else, I say, are you open to a new perspective about this? Right. And then if it's myself, I'm like, do I want to think about this differently or do I need to wallow a little bit longer? You know, sometimes I need to wallow. Sometimes I need to be upset. Sometimes I need to feel disappointed or frustrated or misunderstood. Right. And then once I've kind of sucked the juice out of that, <laughs> that's when it's like, okay, now I'm going to get curious and be like, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to learn from this? Why did this hurt my feelings? And, you know, like, just, I'm trying to think of like a recent situation. Like, um, I was at this retreat and a lot of people were offering their services and, and people, you know, they, so there were several speakers at this retreat I went to, and there was a moment where I was like, why didn't they ask me to be a speaker? And I kind of had my feelings hurt a little bit because I was like, I'm a professional speaker. I wrote a book. Like, how come they don't see the value in me to, like to, enough to ask? And then I was like, oh, like, I, so I felt a little bummed out. I gave myself permission to have that little moment of feeling bummed. And then I was like, I took myself outside. I planted my feet on the ground. I took my shoes and socks off and I put my feet in the earth. And I took a moment for my little girl self. and was like, kind of like 
not in not in any level of condescending kind of way but like kind of like oh honey you really wanted to be seen like you really wanted to be seen here like and just recognizing you really want the approval of these people because you really care about them right so i was able to see like why do i want them to ask for me to do the thing it was like, oh, because I really like them and I want them to like me and I want them to see me and they, I want them to see me in a certain way. And then it was like, okay, can I love myself even if they don't see me in that way, right? Can I be gentle and kind with myself, which is like, to me, the definition of self-compassion. And the answer was like, yeah, like I deserve that. And then I was like, and what if they don't see me like that? Can that be okay? Right. And I was like, yeah, like they don't have, they don't owe me anything. Like, and, and so anyway, I, I was like, and do I know that I am still cool, even if they don't see it? <laughs> yeah. And, and the answer was, yeah. And so anyway, I went back inside and I was like, I don't need, I don't need to, I don't need to have that validate external validation. It really helped me realize like, I was seeking external validation rather than giving myself the validation that I need to give myself. Right. So anyway, I hope that story is clear, but essentially yeah. it was just like, wow, like, oh, my feelings were hurt because some little part of me is still trying to get the approval of my father. Hmm. There's so many like great reminders and, and, and things that were coming up for me as you were talking. First of all, like, I think it's really cool to just visualize and connect with that kid version of you that still lives there right like right. like we pretend we pretend that we're these adults in these adult bodies but there's that emotional child that's still like sitting there um maybe not process emotion i think it's really cool how you you almost have like a conversation with that version of you that's like that little kid because like if if that was a child going through those situations, that's kind of how you would talk to them. That's how you would approach it. And like, totally. you know, as cool as we want to sound, like, I think we all definitely have that, that version of us uh, inside. And I think too, and now I'm referencing all the people that, that I know, you know, Huli, uh, our mutual friend, Huli, she talks about feeling the, feel the feelings, right? Like yeah. feel your feelers. And I think that lots of times we like, don't give ourselves permission to feel that way. You're like, Oh, this doesn't feel good. Let me just push it down and like get over it. But then it's just kind of like, Oh, that wasn't a healthy way of handling it. So like giving yourself permission to just be like, it's okay that I'm feeling this way um, is really powerful. And then the, the other thing that kind of came to my mind was like, um, I think this is something I'm getting better at, but it seems like you've, you've gotten really good at identifying specifically what made you feel that way. Cause this is a really nuanced thing. Like a, a, a standard person wouldn't probably not identify what you experienced as a trigger. The fact like no one said anything to you. No one right. did anything to you. You were just chilling, enjoying a conference. And all of a sudden you're feeling triggered. Like, what the hell is that? Like, I think that's a really like, uh, you know, baby Yoda, you know, talking to the, the, the May the fourth version, you know, uh, <laughs> that, that you identify that that was a trigger, even though that that like stereotypically wouldn't be associated as like somebody threw some, some dump some crap on you, you know, so all, all super, super cool. Yeah. Sometimes the absence of something is actually the trigger itself, right? Like you don't get invited to a party and you feel bummed out or like, you know, this person that you go on a date with doesn't invite you on another date and you feel rejected. Right. So sometimes it doesn't, it's not obvious. You just feel like shit and you don't know why. And it was so interesting. So I had this moment with my, my little girl self and I was standing outside and 
there's a party going on inside. There's like a dance party happening at this point. And, and, and so much of me wanted to just run from the feelings I was having and just go back in and have fun. Cause I love to dance. And my little girl was like, please don't go yet. And I was like, okay. So I like was holding my water bottle and I put my water bottle down on the ground and I stood there for a minute and, and, and she, me was like, you've never left a party for me. You would leave a party for anyone. Like you would leave your party for your kids, for your spouse. You would leave party for friends. You would leave a party for anyone in need, but you've never left a party for me. Hmm. And I was like, all right, well, I'll stay here a little longer then. But like, it was a tender moment that I had with myself because I realized I do everything for everyone, but so rarely do I, and I'm, I'm going to work on, I'm going to continue working on this. So rarely have I taken the time to feel and sit with my feelings rather than just running into the next fun thing. Yeah. It's it's another thing that came up as you're talking is just like the fact that you've kind of like externalized this thought, right? Like, it's like, I, I think that's another thing a pattern that I've observed is some, some really high performers use a strategy. It's like, you, you can like talk to talk about yourself in the third person. It mm-hmm. almost makes it like more manageable because it's not you. Cause if you can kind of pretend like you're talking to this child version of you, that's outside mm-hmm. of you or uh, Mo Gaudat, who wrote the, um, yeah. the happy, the solve for happy. Um, he, he talked about this one on, on our show is basically like, um, like, it's kind of going backwards a little bit, but when he noticed his brain being mean to him or whatever, he calls his, his uh, name, his brain, Brian. <laughs> it was like, Brian, shut up. <laughs> like, what are you doing to me right now? <laughs> um, but I think that it, it, it's kind of fun to like have that because you can play with it and manage it more. And going back to what I was saying earlier, it's like once it's named and labeled and kind of externalized, you can kind of handle and and mold it uh, more than you wouldn't if you hadn't done that. So when, yeah. in neurolinguistic programming, I think one of the greatest gifts from my, a lot of my training was, is parts work. So like doing parts integration, mm. like understanding that we're made up of thousands of parts, right? So my little girl part, my brain part, my, my, you know, my teenager part, the rebellion mm-hmm. part, like, and sometimes they show up as archetypes, right? Like kind of generalized ways of being that we all have within us. And sometimes they show up as versions of myself. Sometimes like part of me wants to go to bed and part of me wants to stay up and have fun, right? That's still mm-hmm. two parts of me and they both are functional and there for a certain reason. So when I started learning about this, probably in like 2012, I guess, is when I first started really studying NLP and like neuroscience, uh, it was like, oh, cool. So like, it makes me feel one, like it, it's so important to recognize like, that that's not bad. It's actually really healthy to identify all of the parts that make up us and then bringing them together is actually what creates a healthy psychology, right? Is like helping all of our parts understand each other, not keeping them separate, not isolating them away and, 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 but really bringing them together and allowing them to be part of the tapestry of your life. Yeah. So good. Um, there's so many different ways I want to, I want to go. Cause like, the, so I have like pages of notes from the compassion code, <laughs> but like, so like, let's, let's, let's kind of keep yeah. going and kind of make a little bit of a shift. Cause we've been talking a lot about curiosity, but the topic yeah. thus far has kind of been like, kind of like internal curiosity. But I know one of the other pillars of what you talk about is that curiosity about other people, about other people's stories. Right. You know, we've been talking about curiosity, about our own stories, but like 
being curious about somebody else's story is what empowers deep connection and for you to kind of like develop deep relationships with other people. And so would love for you to maybe share some of your magic about how you've been able to leverage curiosity as a tool to understand people's stories and go deep with them. Well, you know, I really feel like this is rolling out in the perfect way because I have a philosophy called the me, we, us and me, me we, us, me, then we, then us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Cool. And the me is really obviously me. And so the fact that we've spent a lot of time talking about the internal infrastructure of our minds and our bodies, our spirits, hearts, whatever, um, thoughts, that's the foundation. So when we have a strong foundation of how we communicate internally, then the we relationships, which is our intermediate, like our kind of interpersonal relationships with the people closest to us, maybe our partnerships, whether that's business or personal, it doesn't matter. Um, then those communications are so much easier because we've already worked on the internal communication structure, right? And then once our we relationships um, are healthy, which I will get to in a second, then the us, which is, you know, whether that's in our family structure, whether it's organized organizationally, whether that's as a, as a country, um, as a world community, like the us is how we lead, how we show up, right. Who we serve the kid. Like if you're in a school district, it's, you know, the me, and then the, we is like all the teachers and like all the staff. And then the us is the children and the families you serve. Right. So, um, the, the fact that we started with me and then we're moving into the, we is actually just perfect because, I actually think it's so imperative for us to have healthy dialogue and healthy kindness towards ourselves before we actually can do it for others and with others. So, um, yeah, external communication is enhanced by healthy internal communication. Mm. I love that. And it's funny. Cause like, I know like you and you and I need to like jam again, like, again, like I need, <laughs> I need, I need me some more Laura. Cause like, we gotta, we gotta, there's, there's like lots of gold here, but I know the last time we talked, I kind of shared with you that I've over the past year kind of been on a journey of figuring out and kind of verbalizing and figuring out different ways to explain what I believe my purpose to be. And I kind of arrived right now. It's like, my purpose is to create a more deeply connected world. And to me, that's exactly me, we, us. It's right. It's like, I, I love jamming with people that have different modalities, different frameworks, different thought leadership on how to connect to that deeper version of you. The quote, um, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free, right? Like, how do you become mm -hmm. that that truest version of you, which mm -hmm. empowers you to then show up to other people and, and create deeper relationships. And then that creates this. So we're literally saying the exact same mm -hmm. thing. So let's, totally. let's go into... Um, curiosity and leveraging curiosity to about other people's stories. Cause I know like kind of one of your uh, unique abilities or things that's happened to you is like people just open up to you. Like, I'm sure you're probably the kind of person that's at the grocery line and somebody's like telling you their life story. So like what <laughs> there's, there's obviously like a healthy way of doing that. And right. there's like unhealthy ways of doing that. And totally. then there's like lots of magic that goes in there. So, so right. how can we leverage curiosity to connect deeper with other people? Yeah. Well, my favorite place to connect with strangers is on the airplane because we actually have time to connect, right. deeply, which is so fun. Um, it's my, I like, I love traveling by myself for that reason. Cause I always end up meeting some amazing human being, um, and getting their story. So, um, I think one of the things I'd love to just share is, um, when we see people who are in pain, um, in order to hear people's stories without taking on the weight of the world, um, that's an important piece of this curiosity with de compassionate detachment, right? So like, I am not here to solve or fix or heal anybody. I'm here to be a guide and a love and a light 
but I am not, I'm not a savior and I'm not a fixer. And when I hear somebody's story, I don't try to jump into fix it mode. Right. And that's a huge part of being curious, but without the attachment of having to solve. Um, Cause I think as, as humans in general, and just as our modern world, the tendency is to fix, but fixing signifies that there's something broken. Um, and as one of my mentors said, people are not broken, they're broken hearted. And I added and broken hearts heal. And so, you know, with curiosity, curiosity to me is one of the main ingredients of compassion. When we get curious, and I like to think of it as benefit of the doubt thinking, that's like kind of the everybody has a story philosophy is what I call benefit of the doubt thinking is like, what is the loveliest version of the story? And I think Glennon Doyle has something similar that she talks about, which is like, what is the most beautiful story you can tell about this? And I, when she said that, I was like, yay, that's what I say. Uh, it just made me so I love when I hear other people sh sharing similar things, but in a different framework and it's pretty cool. Um, so um, curiosity with strangers, first thing I would encourage is just to see everybody as the hero of their own story. So if somebody's going through a, a difficult time, instead of pitying them, or feeling sorry for them. I don't say this out loud to them, but the frame in my mind is this, per this person is on their hero's journey. They are here to grow and learn. And that's what's happening. And even though it sucks right now and it's hard, I picture them going through that kind of traditional hero's journey, which is the separation, the initiation and the return, right? So I see them as whole on their journey and that this is something that is going to maybe be a defining moment, but it does not define who they are. It's how they heal and how they grow from and through this, right? So like my mom died, for example, and my hero's journey was going through this massive devastation of losing my mom tragically and suddenly by being run over by a car and to being like, well, who am I without my mother? Like I had no idea. I was 25 years old. I had no idea what to do when she was gone, even though I had been out of the house for a little while and like living my best life, but it's my belly button relationship, you know, it's like the most intimate thing. And so when you see people as the hero of their own story, you don't fall into the pit of despair thinking that they're broken and that you have to fix them. Yeah. Right. And, and that alone can allow the curiosity to not eat away at your heart because it can really, it can cause burnout, you know, on the other side of empathy, empathy is feeling with someone, right? And I have a little graphic I can send you if you want, but on the other side of compassion is empathy, right? On the bell curve of compassion and empathy is feeling with someone, right? And then if we feel with people without boundaries, without that mindset of, oh, they're, you know, this is just kind of, this is just part of their learning in this lifetime then we can fall into burnout because empathy, I call it empathy overload is what burnout mm -hmm. really is. And like, it's like, we feel so much with people and we don't see them as the hero of their story. We see them as somebody who's going through a whole lot of hell and like, we feel for them and yeah, we can feel like we can feel with them. And that's a beautiful thing. And to not take it on as something that we need to do anything about. We see them as whole. So that, that alone, that little trick has allowed me to be in absolute curiosity without falling into pity, which is on the other side of sympathy, right? So compassion is in the middle. Sympathy is on one side, which is feeling for someone. 
and on the other side of that's pity and then on the other side of compassion so compassion going back to the middle there's empathy feeling with and then burnout and on either edge of those of this uh, bell curve is disconnection if i feel with someone for so long that i burn out i become disconnected and if i am pitying and putting people into othering like far away from self and don't recognize the oneness of humanity then I disconnect as well. I go so far the other direction that I disconnect. And again, we all do a little dance with all of these things, but connection is truly starts with self-compassion. It's like, okay, my story is part of my lessons in this life. So we start with how we view our own story. I am the mm -hmm. empowered creator of my own life. My story is what brought me here. And I am a remarkable human because of the crazy things that I've been through. And I've gotten through them or I'm going through them right now. And while they may be difficult, I'm going to get through this. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when we have that level of compassion and empowerment around our own story, then we can see other people in an empowered role as the hero of their own journey. Right. And not feeling like, oh, I don't want to hear their story because it's so sad. And then we disconnect because we're too afraid because we don't know what to say or do, which is why I wrote the book I wrote, because I wanted people to feel less isolated in their grief journey. So I, that's a long answer. Uh, I hope that was helpful. Well, no, so good. Well, first of all, I'm going to have you send me that graphic because I know that that is super, super powerful. But in case you were hands full of dish soap or you're on the treadmill or whatever, like I just think it's super empowering and, and powerful to realize that empathy is feeling with someone and that uh, too much of that leads to burnout or empathy overload and sympathy is feeling for someone and too much of that leads to pity. Um, and I just think that's super positive. And I'm just going to yes. And that, because I think like, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this too, yeah. because there's like another side of curiosity. That's less about the dark parts of someone's hero's journey and like mm -hmm. more about like highlighting them and getting them to talk about them and their humanity. And like, there's <laughs> You can, I, this happens to be all the time. I'm sure it happens to you too. It's like, you can have a conversation for an hour and they, they know nothing about you, like literally nothing about you. Cause you <laughs> totally. just, you just ask somebody questions about them and they're like, that was the greatest conversation I've had ever. It's like, you have no idea who I am. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. But, but they that, felt, that, they felt heard, which is yes. something that is such a rare gift. Um, it's such yeah. a rare gift to offer someone, which is why they love you. They love you because mm -hmm. you see them. And so they already know something about you which is that you actually are genuine, you care, you have an open heart, open ears. So they do know you, they just don't know hmm. your story. They know that hmm. they don't know the content, but they know the context, which is this person like genuinely gives a shit and hmm. is curious and kind and thoughtful and asks great questions. Like that actually says volumes about you as a person. So they might not know the content of your life, but they know that contextually your humanity is something that they want to be on board with. That, that is huge for me. That is awesome. I'm like highlighting because like, okay, here's like the little boy version of me sometimes is because like, sometimes it's like, well, I kind of want to talk a little bit about myself or say something, well, you know, but totally. like, you know, so it's like, there's that little version, but, but that, that is a much more empowering frame behind it. It's like, no, they sure they don't know the the content, but they, they do know me as a human. They know a lot about me as a human uh, that I wasn't communicating through talking about myself. I was communicating it in a different modality. That's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. One time I was on a call with a woman and we were getting to know each other and I spent the whole 30 minutes listening to her story and she goes, Oh my God, I didn't learn anything about you at the end. And I said, you actually learned everything you need to know. 
which is this is what I do for my life. Like I listen to mm. people and I let them feel safe and I hear them and they feel seen and they get to share and I get to hear your story. And she was like, oh yeah, I do know. Like, I do know a lot about you. You know, she was so like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, this is what you, mm. who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you are. Right. So, yeah. and, and the other thing I'll say, Brandon is like, if there's something that you want to share, right. Like one of the things that I've realized is somebody who primarily is a listener um, is if, I, if there's something that I want to share, I can't wait for somebody else to ask me. Mm-hmm. So I have to take the empowered action to say, Hey, I'd love to share this thing with you. Sorry to interrupt. And this is relevant here because, and I want you mm-hmm. to know this about me, right? So it's not feeling um, like a victim to your own ears that you're such an open heart and open, loving, you know, kind, thoughtful person, but really like I get to like, I'm you're cause you're also leading with your questions. Right. So mm-hmm. I noticed that I'd be like, Hey, how come that person didn't say, I kind of had that same stuff going on <laughs> going back to the whole triggers. And I was like, well, I didn't really give them a whole lot of space to ask right. me stuff because I am a, That's true. Like, my mom, <laughs> my parents used to call me the, <laughs> the interviewer because like, I was kind of like, people would come over and I'd like sit down and I'd ask them a million questions. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, well, like if you want people to have the opportunity to ask you questions and you have to give them space to do that as well, mm-hmm. um, or just take action and be like, Hey, I want to tell something, I'll tell you something about me. Yeah. I love that. It's interesting. Cause I, I think I just, as you were talking, I feel like sometimes I'm wondering, I'm wondering now, now I'm psychoanalyzing myself. I'm wondering if it like came from like, or, or it come from like not wanting to talk about yourself. So you got so good about putting the spotlight on someone else. So like, uh, there, there's something that just interesting for that. Hmm. Mm, <laughs> yeah. And just start note, I think if you just start being the bouncer and noticing, right, like being a, a loving bouncer, right. And just start yeah. noticing that. I think you'll, um, you'll figure it out pretty quickly. Huh? Am I avoiding talking about myself? Cause like, sometimes I get embarrassed, you know, talking about myself. Um, and I'm like, Ooh, I don't, I'd rather not dive into that. Right. So sure. as I become more and more open with myself, I'm less inclined to redirect the conversation when it comes back to me. Yeah. I love that. Um, so I know I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're kind of coming right up. There's, we can either shift towards wrapping up or there's one other topic that I, I would be yeah, interested in. I'm okay. So. I have about, I have like 10 more minutes. So I'm cool. Okay. All right. So, uh, self-compassion isn't self-esteem. I thought mm-hmm. this was huge. Uh, would you mind sharing about this a little bit? Yeah, sure. And I want to give credit to Kristen Neff because so much of her work in self-compassion has been a guiding light for me. Um, she's just absolutely amazing. I can't remember what her book's called right now off the top of my head, but you could anybody could find it. Um, but self-compassion. So one of the things that I love about this idea and this framework is that self-esteem is really about comparison to others. And whereas self-compassion is really just relating kindly to self, right? So self-esteem, like we were all taught, you know, children of the eighties and and beyond, you know, I think we were taught like, oh, you got to have a healthy self-esteem. People still say it. Right. And to me, how do you have a healthy self-esteem? And so in Sean Aker's book about it's like one of his books called happiness advantage, he talks about how, you know, when you go to Harvard and you were like the top 001% in your high school, and then you go to Harvard, somebody is going to be below average. Like you have, there will always be somebody who's below average, Mm -hmm. even though 
everyone was like the creme de la creme, right? At their mm-hmm. own, in their own experience. So a lot of kids at Harvard really struggle with depression because all of a sudden they don't know how they fit in because now what used to be like the absolute top 1%, like most of them were the valedictorian, et cetera. They're like, I'm below average here, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a really difficult concept for somebody who has literally related all of their value to how they relate to others right? Like whether that's their GPA or whether, you know, whatever it may be like, I am good enough here. I remember when I was younger and I'm being super vulnerable today, but I remember when I was younger, I'd go to a party and I'd see how I, how I looked compared to the other women at the party. Mm. Am I good enough to be here based on my looks, right? Or my size, right? Which is, you know, just complete crap. But that was how, that was what I was taught. That was the framework I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And so, really starting to self-esteem is like, am I better than other people? So I can feel good about myself, which is a recipe for failure. As far as relationship goes, I can like, so do I always have to make myself feel better than you in order to love you or to like you or to like myself? And so self-compassion is really has nothing to do with anybody else. And what's cool about that is it's really about scarcity and abundance, right? self-esteem to me has a lot of scarcity around it because like that means that only some people can feel good about themselves because you have to be better than someone else to feel good about yourself whereas self-compassion is abundant there is no limit to relating kindly to myself and others there's no limit to it it's an abundant resource my love is abundant like my how I relate to myself kindly is abundant and so it really shifts that frame that paradigm from scarcity of like, oh, I'm only good if I'm better than, if my GPA is this, you know, or my looks are this, or I'm the smartest person in the room. But like, if I am not relating to that, that number, that doership, whatever, then I can, then it doesn't matter. Then all of us can be amazing because we all are in our own special ways. My kids go to this really cool school. It's an Acton Academy school. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of it. And oh, so that they're so cool. And it's all about the hero's journey and stuff. But like one of the philosophies that I, and I'll say it in my words, I might be butchering what they say, but to me, it's like seeing every kid as a genius, every kid is a genius. And our job as the adults in their lives is to actually help them discover where that genius lies. Not they're not all geniuses. Like everybody gets a trophy kind of thing. It's like, everyone has a genius inside of them. And our role is to find that in ourselves, like where, like, so I'm going to tell you one more story. Um, so when I was a junior in high school, I think maybe a senior, I said to my mom, I was so upset. I really was struggling in one of my class in calculus. Actually, it was really hard for me. And I always had done very well in math and, but calculus was just another language that I really was struggling to understand. And I came home from school one day and I was super upset because I made my first B And I was like, because, you know, when you achieve, you have to achieve well, you can't make a 97, you need to make a hundred, right? So a B was like complete failure at that time. And I was crying. And I said to my mom, mom, I don't know how I'm going to make it in the world. I'm only good at one thing. And she said, well, what's the one thing? And I said, "I'm, I'm good at people. And she turned to me and she smiled. She had this kind of wry smile and she had a dimple in her cheek. And she turned to me, she's like, that is the only skill you will ever need. Mm-hmm. And 
that again, like was another one of those just implanted in my brain, like, oh, that's good enough. And so the fact that like, yeah, maybe I suck at calculus or maybe I wasn't that great at history or maybe I don't know a lot about politics. Like, don't give me up like Jay, like what remember that crosswalk show or uh, Jay Leno like asks people about like really obvious things. They're like jaywalking, I think is what he called it. And he would like ask people about really obvious stuff and they make people look really stupid. And like, I would be one of those people who looked really stupid just because I don't know a lot about that kind of stuff. And so, but like, I know a lot about people and I know about love. Right. And so she, and she was like, that is enough. That is enough. You don't ever need anything else. And I think that is like why Acton Academy and why this kind of disruptive education model is so appealing to me because it's like, seeing every kid as a genius and it's our job to help them find it. Mm. I'll have to, you can let me know later, but I have a good friend that's been on the show, Matt Bordreau. He owns three acting schools that I'm a huge oh. fan. Uh, and, yeah. and I know he's looking for women leaders because he, he leads, he has a group of men called Apogee Strong. And so he, he has Apogee Strong and the acting schools that he does that, but he's looking at branching out. So anyways, well, really yeah. cool. Love that story. And I think it comes full circle to like the first question I asked you is because like, I think related to being good at people is like all this stuff that we've been talking about is like telling more effective stories about yourself which empowers you to have more deeper connection with others, which was like clearly a skill set of yours from the very beginning of just, Hey, that person that almost ran us over, maybe trying to get to the hospital, whatever it is. So, so, so cool. I love that. The last question I love asking guests uh, before we can uh, find out about all the stuff that you're up to and where they can check you out is Laura, what is your definition of what happiness means to you? You know, Brandon, I kind of feel like this um, question has evolved for me over my life. Um, when I was a little girl, when people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said happy. Mm. Um, it was another one of those little quotables <laughs> uh, from my mom, but I, and I really meant it. And I think for me, it, it means peace, peace of mind and open heart um, and living in my true essence. So when I am living in my true essence and like my sparkle is shining, Right. And I'm not in my head because I think our head can be sometimes our mind can be our worst enemy. Um, that is happiness to me, because then what I can be and how I can show up for others is magnificent. Um, so happiness to me is having a quiet mind and an open heart and a loving spirit. And those things allow for me to show up in the way that I want to in the world. So beautiful. We'll not add anything on top of that besides where, besides anyone can go check out the compassion code, how to say the right thing when the wrong thing happens. If you want to explore more of these topics about how to dive more into curiosity, diving more into self-compassion, telling more effective stories. And also when people are going through tough times, we didn't get a chance to really dive into this. Like how do you be there in a compassionate way without sucking all your energy. Like these are all topics that, uh, Laura covers very effectively in her book. So besides the compassion code, where can people go to find out the other stuff that you're up to Laura? Yeah. So they can just go to the compassion code Um, that is the, probably the easiest way to find me. And I'm also on Instagram. That's probably the most fun. I've tried to post like little personal stories and things like that. Just kind of like what we did today to give people, um, inspired and loving empowered guidance and like how to live life more compassionately towards themselves so 
um, yeah, I'll send you those links, but the compassioncodeacademy.com is by far the easiest way to find me. All right, you heard it. Go check out the Compassion Code Academy and go grab a copy of the Compassion Code. And I'm just really quickly going to have a conversation with you listening right now. And I just want to say that you could be anywhere else. You could be listening to any other podcast. You could be watching other YouTube videos, but you chose, you clicked on this episode and you have hung out for a full hour now with Laura Jack and myself. And for that, I am so grateful. I am sincerely grateful. And whether this was like the first episode you've ever listened to, or you've listened to many episodes, I know that there is something in here that can absolutely transform someone's life. Uh, podcasts have changed my life. And so whether it was the early stories that we shared, maybe you got a laugh from Laura basically meeting her husband at the DMV, or maybe <laughs> maybe you learned something more about curiosity and how to be more curious about the stories that aren't serving you or how to communicate more effectively to someone else. These are topics that can absolutely transform my life So, or anyone's life. So my ask for you is if you found value in this that you share, share it with somebody. Uh, it can make a massive, massive difference and you may never even know the ripple of impact that it can create if you share this with the right person. So it would make my day. It would make Laura's day if you do that. And I'm just so grateful for you listening. And Laura, any final things you want to say before we, we head off today? Yeah, I just want to take a moment to have deep gratitude for you, Brandon, because I think what you're doing and who you are in this world is such a gift. You're such a beautiful soul. And it's so evident to me that you are such a thoughtful, kind, conscious, considerate human. And it's been such a privilege to be in conversation with you and hear you. You are an excellent question asker and you're um, a curious observer of life. And uh, so anyway, I just, I wanted to give you a little shout out for all that you provide and what you bring to this world. So thank you for that. Your kindness is overflowing. Thank you. I received that. I, I really, really, really appreciate those kind words. It means, means, means a lot. So appreciate you, Laura. I appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.